103, Journeying Through the Psalms. It's a Psalm of David. And it's wonderful. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to read just the first couple of verses, and then we're going to go through the rest of the verses as we kind of uh, dig in. So look there with me, Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That may sound familiar to you. If it does, it's because uh, many songs have been built off of this phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. Older songs, newer songs, you hear this phraseology, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now look in verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And so David's stirring himself up to remind himself of all of the benefits that come uh, as a result of his relationship with the Lord. And so that's uh, the first part of Psalm 103. Let's pray, and then we'll just see what those benefits are. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we're grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather as a faith family, Lord, to fix our our minds and our hearts upon you. And, and Lord, we ask that you would bless what goes on in this room, but not just what goes on in this room. God, we pray that you would bless all the ministries taking place um, on our campus. Lord, the small group Bible studies, the step studies, the preschool ministry, the children's ministry, the student ministry, Lord, the music ministry. Lord, we just, we lift all of that up to you and ask that you and move and bless. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. Uh, Lord, above all else, above all else, we as a faith family want to make much of Jesus. So help us to do that. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, the Psalms are wonderful. They are in actuality a collection of hymns used in the worship of the Hebrew people. And so the book of Psalms is in actuality a hymn book. And it's interesting to approach them from that perspective, but you might say, well, these are 150 different songs or hymns. Are they really connected? Are they really related? And the answer to that question is uh, yes. There is a common theme, or there are some common themes that we find throughout all of the Psalms. And I think Dr. Easley, Kendall Easley, really hits the nail on the head when he writes, God, as a, as a theme of Psalms, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so Dr. Easley reminds us that the Psalms uh, constantly, um, constantly help us to remember that if things are good, God's worthy of our praise and God is worthy of our trust. And if things are bad, if things are difficult, guess what? God is still worthy of our praise and worthy of our trust. And so we see that theme woven throughout these 150 hymns. And I like John Piper's comment because he picks up on the emotional aspect of the Psalms. He writes, the Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And that brings us to Psalm 103, this Psalm of David. Let me just give you kind of an kind of overarching idea of what this psalm consists of. And it's there uh, in your notes. This psalm should stir our hearts to praise the Lord in light of two things. Now watch this. We should praise the Lord in light of who He is and what He has done. I think sometimes our praise can kind of, um, kind of be limited to just what God's done for us. And we forget who God is, how great He is. And, and so praise and worship should, should focus on who God is, His character, His nature, His attributes, and what God has done, His works, uh, His interaction with us, His interaction in the world and in human history. And so this psalm should stir our hearts. And, and if, it doesn't, if it doesn't stir your heart, you, you need to say, you need to do it like a little heart checkup and say, why is my heart not stirred up by this? Because this is wonderful, wonderful stuff. And let me give you two thoughts related to this psalm stirring up our hearts. Number one, 
we should praise him with a full commitment, a full commitment to the act of giving thanks. That phrase, full commitment to the act of giving thanks, comes from Derek Kidner. I don't think I wrote him down, but Derek Kidner said that, and I liked it. We should praise him with a full commitment to the act of giving thanks. That's what David's all about in verse 1. Look what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. See that phrase? All that is within me. It's a full commitment to praising Him, a, a full commitment to giving God thanks, a full commitment to remembering God's benefits in His life. It's a, it's a wholehearted engagement with God. And I want you to understand tonight, if you read the Bible, you'll see continually the theme emerging that God is looking for wholehearted worshipers. Folks to, to put their entire heart into it. Let me go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel and how they should train their kids of the, the great doctrines of God. And he said, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Right? All, all, all. Uh, Jesus picked up on that uh, verse when he was giving a lawyer the greatest commandment, he said, and he adds something to it, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And, and the, the word all there, all, 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 all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, wholehearted commitment. I love Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, story about Asa. And there's a verse there, I think it's verse 9, don't, don't quote me on that, but somewhere right in there in, in chapter 16, uh, the Bible says that the Lord is looking, I love this verse, He's looking to and fro throughout the earth to find those whose hearts are completely His. God is looking for wholehearted folks. And when God finds somebody who has their entire heart engaged in worshiping Him and serving Him and living for Him, He will come and empower them and bless them and pour His favor out upon them in a way in which you can't even fathom. God, he's, think about that. God is looking for wholeheartedness. I mean, it, 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 the Lord right now in this room, he, He's looking at our hearts. Are they wholehearted? Are they uh, devoted to me with their entire heart, soul, mind, and strength? We should praise Him with a full commitment to the act of giving thanks. I read this anecdote about D.L. Moody. I don't know if you know much about D.L. Moody, but he was a great evangelist, kind of a precursor to Billy Graham. Uh, in the late 1800s, he was um, based out of Chicago and saw uh, tens of thousands of people coming to the kingdom through his preaching. God used him in a mighty, mighty way. But he heard a quote. He heard someone say, um, The world has yet to see what God can do with one person whose heart is fully his. He heard that quote, and here's what D.L. Moody said. He said, I will be that man. I will be that man whose heart is completely his. And we'll see what God will do with a man like that. And we saw, we look back in, looking back on history, we see what God did with his life. So we should praise him with a full commitment, wholehearted devotion uh, in this psalm specifically for giving thanks. And, and here's another thing about this stirring up of our hearts to praise. And you understand this is what happens. When we praise God, we are joining in. You say joining in with who? Well, fast forward to the end of the psalm. Look there with me in Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his, what's it say there? Angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Speaking of the angelic host, the angelic army. And then it says, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so here's what David's saying. He's saying the angels are praising God. The created order is praising God. It's, it's pointing to God. And so when I'm blessing the Lord with my soul, I'm just joining in. I'm joining the angels, I'm joining the created order in ascribing to God the worth that is due His name. Have you ever thought about your worship like that? 
when you begin to worship God, you're just joining in with the angels. Isn't that cool? You're just joining in because they're worshiping Him too. They're blessing Him too. That's what that word bless means. And so this psalm should stir our hearts to praise the Lord in light of who He is and what He has done. Uh, I, I'll leave you with a, another Spurgeon quote because, you know, I love Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist pastor of the late 1800s. He had a way with words, great gospel preacher. He writes, Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, adored his idol with flute, harp, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. And David, in far nobler style, awakens all the melodies of heaven and earth in honor of the one, only, living, and true God. Our attempt at exposition explaining this psalm is commenced under an impressive sense of the utter impossibility of doing justice to to so sublime a composition. So we're going to try to, Spurgeon said, I'm going to try to explain it, but I understand I can't do it. I can't do justice to this great of a psalm. He goes on to say, We call upon our soul and all that is within us to aid in the pleasurable task but alas our soul is finite and our uh, all of our mental faculty far too little for the enterprise there's too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write i like that it is one of those all comprehending scriptures which is a bible in itself and it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church here's what he's saying if all you had was psalm 103 is your hymn book it would be a good hymn book it'd be enough because there's so much in this psalm. And so this psalm should stir your heart and stir my heart to bless the Lord. That means to, to praise Him, to give Him the praise that He is due. So you say, Wade, well, are, there, are, some, are there some reasons given here that I ought to praise Him? Well, there are. There are a lot. I didn't count, but if you count all the bullet points, however many there are, that's how many are in this psalm. And I want to just walk you through the uh, the... The, the bullet points here and walk you through this psalm to show you or give you some reasons that ought to really whet your appetite to bless the Lord and have a full commitment to giving Him thanks. Number one, praise Him, bless Him for forgiveness. Praise Him for forgiveness. Notice what he says there in verse 3. Bless the Lord on my soul, verse 2, forgetting all of, all of his benefits. So remember all that he's done. And he starts to list those benefits in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity. That's pretty awesome. The Bible teaches that if we know the Lord in a personal way, he uses the covenant name of God here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So this is speaking of David having a personal relationship with God. We have a personal relationship with God through God's Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches if we have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then we experience complete forgiveness of everything we've ever done wrong or will do wrong. Everything. His shed blood, the, the, the price he paid at Calvary, his, his shed blood is applied to your spiritual account when you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and his blood washes away your sin. Everything. You are forgiven. And David's so excited about forgiveness, he comes back to that theme later in the psalm. Look what he says in verse 9. It says, He will not always chide, in other words, we, we won't always experience his anger, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. East and west never meet, right? If you try to, if you try to, head from the west and head east, which is that way, you, you, you'll never bring west and east together, right? They're, 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 they're forever apart. There's always going to be a west, always going to be an east. He said that's what God does with our sins. He, he takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. He removes our transgressions from us. Now listen, that's really good news for me because I'm a sinner. I don't know about anybody else in the room. I don't know if 
we want to have some some confession time. We want to walk around and just just go around and tell us all the things you've done this week. But uh, but uh, I just want you to know that that I, I'm I'm a sinner saved by grace. A lot of things I've done I wish I wouldn't have done. There's a lot of things I wish I would have done I haven't done in obedience to the Lord. And so we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Isn't it wonderful that in a personal relationship with God, you experience complete forgiveness of your sins. God no longer holds them to your account. They are washed away. We should praise Him for forgiveness. There's another reason we should praise Him. We should praise Him for healing. We should praise Him for healing. Look what He says there in verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Who heals all your diseases. This, this verse speaks of God's healing power. David's saying, I've experienced the benefit of God healing my life. Now, of course, I believe uh, there's some spiritual aspect of that. David experienced some spiritual brokenness, and God healed him from his spiritual brokenness. But I believe probably in this psalm, David's talking about physical healing. Because there were times where, in other psalms, David was uh, sick or, or uh, experiencing physical malady, sometimes because of his sin. And he experienced the healing power of God. And David's saying, I want to praise him. Because there have been times in my life he has healed me. And since you're all in here looking at me, guess what? There's been some times in your life he's healed you too. Right? We've all experienced things. And, and God has, has restored us and given us a measure of health. God is a healing God. And, and so what does that mean? It means that if someone experiences something that is very physically serious and scary, how should Christians respond to that? We should boldly go to God and ask Him to heal. We should, we should do that. The, the Bible tells us to do that, to ask God to heal, and then leave the results in His hands, because He's all-powerful, and He can absolutely heal in a split second, and He's all-knowing. He knows the best way to deal with that situation. So we should, we should pray, God, we know you can heal, and we ask you to do that. And we should pray bold prayers of healing. And if He heals in this life, we say, praise the Lord, you're a healing God. If He, if he heals in eternity, we say, praise the Lord, you are a healing God. Because here's the deal. Even if God heals you physically, dramatically in the here and now, you're still going to die. Right? And so, so heaven is when we leave this old body behind. Right? We get a new body the day of resurrection. And so we should praise the Lord for His healing. Uh, and, and David does that here. He forgets not all of His benefits. He forgives our iniquity. He heals all of our diseases. Healing. My, uh, my mother, uh, when uh, she was in the early 80s, in the early 80s, she was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's disease, and, and it looked very serious. Now, I was a little guy, and, and really all I remember about that time is I remember her walking around the house with a bandana because she lost all of her hair, and, uh, and I remember uh, she, you know, she was just weak and, and, and very sick. She was going through chemo and radiation. And uh, my mom, she asked the Lord, she asked the Lord this, this, she said, Lord, I would love to see both of my boys graduate from high school. That's in the early 80s. My brother was probably, uh, in, he was probably a sixth grader, and uh, I was, you know, probably starting uh, kindergarten somewhere right in there, maybe first grade. And, uh, and she asked God to do that, and, and guess what? God did it. He used treatments, he used... Uh, chemo, radiation to push back the, the, the cancer and the Hodgkin's, and she was cancer-free for 30-plus uh, years. Not only did she see me and my brother uh, graduate from high school, she saw us both get married, and she got to experience grandkids. 30 years. 30 years after that time, uh, lymphoma came back with a vengeance, and we went through chemo and radiation, all that again. She, she didn't make it. 
But guess what? She's healed now. She's in heaven. She, she's in perfect peace. Uh, and so we take great joy in that. We saw God heal her uh, significantly in this life, but we also saw God heal her ultimately when she went into eternity. Isn't that good? And, and God's good in all of that. He's good in all of that. And so we should praise God for His healing. Number three, we should praise God for redemption. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, He or who redeems your life from the pit. The word redeems means to set free. And... The Bible is very clear that you and I need to be set free. We need to be set free from sin, from the pit that sin gets us into. You know that sin gets you into a pit, right? Uh, I love last year, the, one of the VBS songs we had, um, not this summer, but the summer before that was, Sin Messed Everything Up. And that's a really good, that's a really, that's real good theology. Sin messed everything up. It did. And my kids walk around, sin messed everything up. I'm like, yep, it did. It did. It messed everything up. I mean, sin gets us down into a pit. It'll destroy our lives. But if we will trust Christ, he'll come and lift us from the pit and set us free from sin and self and Satan. And we're free to know him and walk with him and serve him and live for his glory. Freedom is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Amen? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been set free. Free. You're no longer in bondage to the things of this world. You have the capacity now, by the power of the Spirit, to live fully for the glory of God. And so we should be grateful for redemption, being set free. By the way, the idea of redemption in the Bible is set free through the payment of a price. We're set free because Jesus paid the price to set us free. Number four, love. Look what it says in verse four. He redeemed you from, uh, from the pit who crowns you with steadfast, what's the word there? Love. Love is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful reality. And the Bible says in 1 John 4 that this is who God is. God is love. And we should be grateful for the love of God. We're not lovable creatures. We've, we've disrespected God. We've rebelled against God. We don't deserve His love. But God as a uh, settled disposition has chosen to love us. It's an affection, watch this, it's an affection for us that moves him to action on our behalf. Which brings us to a verse like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. His, his love is an affection for us that moves him to action, to, to give his son on our behalf. And here's what I believe about the Bible, and here's what I believe about the message of God, God's love, I believe I can go anywhere in the world, look anybody in the face and say, God loves you. And is there a greater thing to be able to tell someone than that? God loves you. And so we should be grateful for His love, which provides salvation and provides forgiveness and, and, and provides for our Redemption. If God did not love us, we would all be in trouble. We would still be in our sins. And so we should be grateful for His love. Next, we should be grateful for His mercy. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Mercy. Let me give you kind of just an overarching definition of the way the word mercy is used in the Bible. There's the, the Hebrew word mercy. There's the Greek word Mercy, but, but the general way you see it used when you look at the surrounding context of that word is mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. God not giving us what we do deserve. So what do we deserve? We deserve wrath, right? Judgment, hell. And God withholds that. We'll talk some more about that in a moment. But he withholds that so that... He can offer us salvation. I mean, a lot of people, they look at evil in the world, and they say, why doesn't God just instantly eradicate all evil? Be careful what you ask for. Right? I mean, if God instantly eradicated all evil, I wouldn't have made it to my first birthday. And you wouldn't have either. 
Because we're sinners, right? We're separated from God. Aren't you glad that God shows us mercy by withholding what we do deserve? That's mercy. He shows us mercy by not instantly judging us and flinging us into a sinner's hell. God has shown us great mercy. Another benefit is satisfaction. Look in verse 5. This is good. It says, Who satisfies you with good. Who satisfies you with good. Here's one of the great things about having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God satisfies you in a way that nothing and no one else can. Let me say it again. God satisfies you in a way that nothing or no one else can. That's what God does. He is a God who satisfies us. I, I love some of the pictures of Jesus over in uh, John where he says, I, you know, I'm, I'm the bread of life. I, I give you what you need. I'm, I, I, I satisfy the deepest hunger of your soul. We should be grateful that that. Jesus satisfies. Remember the Mick Jagger song? I can't get no satisfaction. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I remember that, yeah. I can't get no satisfaction. And boy, Mick Jagger tried, didn't he? You know anything about rock and roll and Rolling Stones? And man, they really tried to find satisfaction in all the wrong places. They realize no matter how much money you have, no matter how many relationships you have, or how you pursue pleasure or uh, substances or whatever, there's, there's satisfaction in none of that. It's like, it's like Mick Jagger was singing the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon came to the same conclusion. I tried it all and none of it satisfied me. But guess who does satisfy you? Jesus. Can I tell you this? And, and I, I believe this with all of my heart. And if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want you to hear this. If you have nothing, but you have Jesus, you have everything. And let me say it this way. If you have everything, but you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. I believe that with all of my heart. I've seen it played out in life after life after life after life. I'm just telling you. Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. He will nourish you. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will give you joy. He'll give you what you need to keep on keeping on in this world. It's like one of my favorite hymns says, Jesus doeth all things well. He satisfies and, he, and he, he's saying here, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that the Lord satisfies me with good. He satisfies me. He gives me what I need. Next, praise Him for renewal. Look in verse 5. See how rich this psalm is, by the way? We're just at verse 5, and we're just, I mean, and I'm just hitting it quick. But look in verse 5. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I like that. God gives you what you need to give you the strength you need, the re renewal you need to keep on keeping on for Him. This sounds a lot like Isaiah where it says that God gives us, bears us up on wings like eagles so that those who are weary uh, can begin to, to, to move again. And those who are walking can begin to run again. He gives us the strength like an eagle. He renews our strength, and we need that. We need to, when we find ourselves stumbling and bumbling through life, we need to, to soar on eagle's wings so that we can serve him in a way that is meaningful. And God will renew your strength. Hey, by the way, have you asked him lately to do that? I know that life's a rat race, and we're all busy and frantic. And uh, When's the last time you said, God, would you, would you just... Would you just renew my strength? Would you just pick me up like I'm being lifted up on eagle's wings? And would you just would you just help me to soar? I'm tired of just kind of muddling through life, kind of just make. I, I want to soar. Would you would you renew my strength, Lord? Would you do that? Ask Him to do that and see what happens in your life. 
Next is justice. Look in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You don't have to look very far in our world to see injustice, oppression, evil, people suffering as a result of other people's evils. And uh, it can be downright disheartening. But this, um, this passage reminds us that nobody gets away with anything. Ultimately, when the dust of, of human history settles, Jesus will rule and reign and execute perfect justice on this earth in every situation. I think one of the things we're going to be doing in the millennial reign, because the Bible says we'll reign with him, I believe, I believe there's a literal 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ where the lion will lay down with the lamb, and, and I believe that day is, is coming after his return, and, and we're not getting into all that, but, but, uh, but I believe there's a, a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. The Bible says that we will reign with him. Now, does that mean that Jesus is going to ask us for advice, like, hey, wait, how should we handle this one? This, uh, you know, the all-knowing, wise Jesus asked me for my advice. I don't think that's what it means at all. I think it means that you and I will just sit there and marvel at his breathtaking justice. We're going to see him make the right decision time after time after time after time, always doing the right thing. And we're going to be able to watch that. And I think in uh, in, in the millennial reign of Christ, I believe we are going to be astounded at the justice of Jesus. I really do. But it's coming. So he's, he's grateful here for, for justice, for his righteousness, that, that when it's all said and done, Jesus always does the right thing. We can look forward to that day. Hey, by the way, this is one of my issues with atheism. You know, atheism basically says there's no God, and, and uh, you know, it boils down to, hey, uh, only the strong survive, and and uh, natural selection, and all of that. If you buy into evolutionary theory, uh, but that 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 mindset doesn't believe there's a true moral law code. There's not a moral lawgiver that it's all. We're all just kind of bumping into each other, and our chemical reactions are firing off, and and you know our evolutionary processes are helping some to be stronger than others. And, you know, and, and so there's no moral law. It's just all just random. That's what that, that teaches. And atheists believe there, there's, there's really no moral law or moral lawgiver. If that's true, Hitler got away with it. Right? Hitler got away with it. Six million Jews, he got away with it. He took the easy route out, right? Got away with it. No! There is a moral law. There is right and wrong because there is a moral law giver. And one day everyone will stand before that judge and perfect justice will be dispensed. No one gets away with anything. Our only hope is that we are under the blood of Jesus and our sins are washed away. So we're not judged according to our wicked deeds. And so praise Him for justice. By the way, that's one of my favorite... Um, Arguments for the existence of God is everybody knows there's right and wrong. Even if they say there's not. If, if someone comes to you and says, I don't believe there's such thing as right and wrong, steal their car and see what they say. <laughs> Get in and drive off, wave out the window and see if, see if they think that's cool. Everybody knows there's fairness and right and wrong. Even if, even if it's skewed by the fall and skewed by, you know, bad worldviews, philosophy. I mean, everybody has this, uh, this inner sense that there is a moral law out there. You know why there's a moral law? Because there's a moral law giver. There's one who made it all, who defines right and wrong. And he will execute perfect judgment. That was all extra. I didn't intend to say all that. But, but I just thought you needed to hear it tonight. All right. Justice. Next, Revelation. Has anybody counted the, the dots, by the way? How many are there? Anybody? I know, some of you, I know some of you folks counted. How many are there? Anybody count? No one counted? Wow, y'all are so laid back. And, all right. Next, how many are there? Fifteen, okay. Ne and this, is, this one gets me fired up, okay? So I'm not going to go long, but this one gets me fired up. Revelation. Not the book, but the fact that God reveals himself. Look what it says in verse 7. 
he made known his ways to who? Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So here's what David's saying. One of the awesome things about God is he's revealed himself. He revealed himself to Moses. Remember the burning bush, right? Go to Pharaoh and let my people go. Who shall I say sent me? I am that I am has sent you. He revealed himself to Moses, to people of Israel, and throughout their history he keeps revealing himself, leading them, guiding them, teaching them, instructing them, directing them. He, he's constantly revealing himself, who he is, what he's like, how he works. He's revealing himself to his people, which, by the way, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. We simply would not know much about God if it were not for the revelation of the Bible, right? So David here, I'm just excited, Lord, that there's a time you chose to reveal yourself to Moses and reveal yourself to Israel. And I hope that you're excited that God has chosen in His, in His grace to reveal Himself to you and to me. I simply cannot fathom what my life would be like if it weren't for the Bible. I, I can't, I mean, I shudder to think. Can you imagine? I mean, what would my life be like if I didn't have the Bible to point me to Jesus, to show me who I am apart from Jesus, to show me what it means to serve Jesus, to teach me what's right and wrong? And I, just, I mean, where would we be if it weren't for the Bible? Where would we be if God did not graciously reveal himself to us? So listen to me. When you read your Bibles, listen. It's, re it's revelation. It's God revealing himself to you. There's a quote I love. I, I, I use it all the time from Carl F.H. Henry. He's an evangelical leader in the mid-1900s. But he says that, that the Bible, I love this, listen to this, bears the character of a fresh miracle. So, so think about it like this. If you want a miracle every day, get alone with your Bible cup of coffee, whatever works for you, open it up, and you'll experience the miracle of revelation. God speaking to you, revealing himself to you. Don't get caught up in, oh, this is just my devotion time. I'm supposed to read a chapter and close it. I'm done with it. No, this is, this is the, the character of fresh revelation. God is speaking to you every day from his word. That's what this book is. So we should forget not uh, any of his benefits, one of his benefits is revelation. He's given us his word. And I hope you have that mindset when it comes to the Bible. The next one is grace. Praise him for grace. Look what the Bible says there in verse 8. The Lord is merciful. We talked about mercy. God not giving us what we, uh, uh, not giving us what we do deserve. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Gracious. It's grace. What is grace? Just looking at it from a big picture Bible perspective. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Here's grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Unmerited favor. It's God blessing us with forgiveness and revelation and His presence and His guidance and His goodness and His provision and His healing in our life. And we deserve none of that. If, listen to me. If there's anything good happening in your life, it's grace. It's grace. It's God's gift. It's God's favor to you. You might say, well, I've earned my job and I've earned my paycheck and my promotions. And, and uh, I hear what you're saying, Wade, but I've done some of this too. Who gave you the brain to think? Who gave you the heart that beats so you can get up and go to that job? Amen? Who gives you the, the mouth that can talk, the lungs that breathe? It's, it, listen, it's all grace. Every moment our heart beats and we're alive, it's grace. Every good thing in our life, it is grace. If your kids are doing great, it's God's grace. Amen? If your marriage is good, it's grace. If your church is doing great, it's grace. It's God's favor on our life that we do not deserve. Unmerited favor. And we should be grateful for that grace. Which leads to the next one. I really love this one. Patience. Look at verse 8. 
Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Again, people say, I wish God would instantly eradicate all evil. You don't want that. What you want is you want God's patience. You want God's forbearance. You want Him to to be patient with you so that you can come to repentance in Jesus Christ. That's what it says over in 2 Peter chapter 3, I think it's verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow concerning His promises, but He is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why doesn't God come back and set everything straight right now? Every day he, he delays His return is patience. He wants more people to repent and believe and be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. He's being patient. Now, one day, in his sovereign heart, that patience will come to an end. He will return. He will judge. It'll be too late at that moment. But right now, he's patient, and it is opportunity for sinners to be saved. He's he's slow to anger. Now, that's true when it comes to non-Christians having time to believe in Jesus. I think it's also true for Christians that stumble sometimes. Anybody here ever stumble as a Christian? Anybody? Have you ever, have you ever needed to, God to be patient with you as a Christian? Man, I have. I have. And you say, well, give us some examples. It's not none of your business. <laughs> All right? None of your business. But I'm just telling you, there have been some times in my Christian journey that I've needed God to be patient with me. Right? And he has been. He's slow to anger. He's merciful and he's kind. He's, he's patient. He's forbearing. And we should be grateful for that attribute of God. Here's another one. Praise him for relationship. Uh, now fast forward to verse 13 because uh, verses 9 through 12 are the verses that speak of forgiveness being, uh, our sins being cast away as far as the east is from the west, never touching. They're always taken away from us. And, and then he mentions relationship in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So here, the Lord is compared to a a loving, compassionate father. That's who he is. The Bible's clear that apart from Jesus, we are all enemies of God. Far from God, in our sins, separated from God. But if we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says we're reconciled, which means we become friends of God, but it gets even better. The Bible says we're adopted so that we become children of God. We become His children. He becomes our Father. How incredible is it that in Jesus, you and I get to call God Father? Think about what an astounding privilege and joy that is. Uh, we're all God's children. Uh, wrong answer. Like Family Feud, the ex. Uh, that's not right. We're not all God's children apart from Jesus. Over in John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to the religious folks, the religious leaders. They went to the temple. They tithe. They fasted. I mean, these were the relig- They memorized the first five books of the Bible. They were very, very religious. You know what Jesus called them? He called them sons of Satan because <laughs> they weren't saved. They were far from God. Only in Jesus do you become a son or daughter of God. And if you are a son or daughter of God, that is a good place to be. You can call God Father. There's so much more we can say about that, but we'll move on to the next one. We should praise Him for being known by Him. Look what He says in verse 14. I thought this was interesting. He shows compassion like a father shows compassion to his children. And by the way, let me just say a quick word about that. Uh, I'm an imperfect earthly father, and I'm just crazy about my kids. You parents know what that's like. I mean, I'm just, I'm just crazy about them. If they knew how much I love them, they probably would take advantage of me, all right, and get away, try to get away with more. But I, I'm just crazy about them. I really am. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine anyone loving them more than I do. can't imagine that. 
And this verse says that's what God is like when it comes to us. That's how he loves us. He's crazy about us. He's our father. He loves us greatly. And it says, part of that is, he knows us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So God knows everything about us. We're not getting away with anything. We're not hiding anything from God. He knows everything about us. And he loves us anyway. There's a song that just came on the radio I've been listening to, and, and uh, it's called Known by Tarn Wells. And he makes that statement, God, you know everything about me, and you love me anyway. You're my father. And isn't that wonderful that God knows you better than anyone else knows you, and yet he still shows you compassion. He still works in your life. He loves us dearly. Now listen, if God weren't my father, the fact that he knows everything about me would terrify me right? In fact, I remember where I was. I, I was in Sunday school class at Burton Baptist Church. It was probably around third grade, fourth grade, somewhere in there. Miss Helen Pitts was my teacher. I remember, him saying, I remember her saying, God knows everything about, she knows every thought you think. And I thought, ooh, I was like, <laughs> like I never thought about that before. He sees everything you do. And I'm like, and I remember it kind of shook me as a little guy. I was like, wow, knows everything about me? If I wasn't a Christian, that'd be terrifying, right? The Bible says on Judgment Day, those that are not Christians will be before the great right throne of judgment, and it says they'll be judged according to their deeds written in a book. Everything they've ever done will be brought front and center. No one's going to say, you know, uh, I didn't really do that, God, and he'll say, it's right here in the book. You and I both know you did it. I know everything about you. That would be terrifying. But when he's your father and he knows everything about you and he still loves you and redeems you and shows you grace and mercy, that's, isn't that wonderful? That he loves us anyway. Being known by him is a wonderful reality. Next, we should praise him for his eternal nature. Look in verse 15. I'm, I'm winding it down. I told you there's a lot here, okay? I'm getting, but I'm getting there. We're going to land the plane. Which says in verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Life is short. We're transient. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So here's what he's saying. God is eternal. He has no ending, no beginning. He's always existed. He always will exist. He's an eternal God, which is in stark contrast to our short little life. Compare that to eternity. Our little life is but a speck. But here's his point. Because God is eternal, who he is will go on and 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 on. You have someone you have a relationship with who say, they really love me. Well, they could die tomorrow, right? They could die tomorrow. And that love you're experiencing would be over in this life. But the God who loves us is eternal. So who he is, love, mercy, grace, revelation, it'll go on and 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 on. Why? Because he goes on and on and on and on and on. So the fact that he is eternal speaks of his character and his attributes continuing on forever and us experiencing those forever aren't you glad that god is eternal no ending no beginning and then finally praise him for sovereignty sovereignty the word sovereignty means rule or reign look what it says in verse 19 it says the lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over what? Doesn't say some, does it? His kingdom rules over all. That means that God is in absolute control of everything. I heard one theologian put it like this, there's not a rogue molecule in the universe. There's not anything going on out there that God is not overseeing, God is not in control of. So here's what that means. That means 
that everything that happens is either caused directly by God or it's allowed by God. In his sovereignty, he allows it for his own sovereign purposes. And from our perspective, we don't understand all of that. We don't understand why things happen and, and why God does what he does. But we know that he's in control. And we know that one day when we see, when we see it all from an eternal perspective, his perspective, we'll see how wise and good he was in it all. Because God's sovereign, sovereign the Bible says that Romans 8, he works everything, to good, uh, everything together for your good. To those who love him, called according to his purpose. God is sovereignly working everything, even the bad stuff in our life. He's, he's sovereignly working it together for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. God is sovereign. He is in control. So here's what that means. You can trust him. He reigns over all. He reigns over all. He reigns over everything. You can trust Him with your life. One more Spurgeon quote. I told you I was done with Spurgeon, but one more Spurgeon quote. Because it's too good not to use. But Spurgeon said that the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, was a soft pillow that He laid His head on at night. In other words, He said, I could go to bed and sleep soundly, no matter what was going on in my life, because I knew God was in control. I could trust Him with my life. So, do you, do you need your praiser to be stirred up? That's not even correct, the correct word, but you know what I mean. Do you need your worshiper to be stirred up? Praise him for forgiveness, healing, redemption, love, mercy, satisfaction, renewal, justice, revelation, grace, patience, relationship, being known by him, his eternal nature, sovereignty. Those are some reasons he is worthy of our praise. So if you find yourself kind of being dry and stale and stagnant, apathetic, maybe you need to go to Psalm 103 and just let God stir you up to whole, a wholehearted commitment to the act of giving thanks and praising God. His name.